Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Sermon this morning is over Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 23. The sermon title is Slaves of Righteousness. Slaves of Righteousness. Now, to bring us up to speed on the chapter, we're still answering the the objection that comes after preaching on the grace of God. The grace of God is preached, the gospel of Jesus proclaimed, and there are always going to be some who come with an objection. We see that objection at the beginning of Romans chapter 6, and then Paul is answering that that objection, and we see the objection again in our text today. But if I am justified by faith, if I'm justified by God, by faith alone in Christ alone, and if I have assurance of my salvation right now before I die, if I don't have to wait for the assurance of my salvation until after I die, if I can have it right now, actually be assured that I'm forgiven, that I'm a son of God, that I am counted righteous in Christ, if that's true, if God's promises to me rest on his grace and not on works of the law, or my ability to carry out those works of the law, if I am united with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, if God's grace is bigger than my sin, the objection comes, why not sin all the more that grace would abound? And Paul is answering this question. If you're forgiven right now and counted righteous, and you're forgiven tomorrow and a year from now and ten years from now, you're still counted righteous and the promises of God rest on grace and not on you, then those object, the objectors come, well, what about the law? What about obedience? Get, it, get to work. So why not sin all the more that grace may abound? That's the objection. And so Paul has been clearing up the objection. He's been answering that. He's been clarifying. Okay, let me tell you the application of the grace of God then in the life of a believer. And so he begins to tell them through Romans chapter 6. The And if you're preaching the gospel faithfully, you're going to be open to these accusations, actually. If you're preaching the gospel faithfully, you're going to be open, you're going to open yourself up wide open to accusations like this. And if accusations never come like this, it's probably because the gospel is not being preached. And so Paul is clarifying, and he's now responding, and he said, you can't go on to sin that grace may abound because you actually died with Christ. You're united with him. So when you became a Christian, you actually you died with Christ. His death was your death. You died. And now you're alive with Christ. You've been brought to life. You're, you're a new creation. You're, the old is gone. The new has come. You're not the same person you used to be. God did away with that old person. And now you're alive in Christ. And then last week, as Cale preached, we have this great line that we are now to consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we can't go in on sinning, go on sinning like we did before because we are, we are dead to sin and now alive to Christ. And so the question kind of comes to us this morning, well, how does this, what's this look like with flesh on it? How do we live this stuff out? What's the mechanics of it? How does, what's it look like to walk with God? To be a slave of righteousness. How do we how do, we do that? How does, what, is, what does walking with Jesus look like? What's the nuts and the bolts of how all, this things, all these things work together? And that's what we're looking at here this morning. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me in Romans 6. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin 
as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Okay, we get a let not and a do not and a do, a call to action. So two do nots and one do. And what, what is that? In this passage, as we're working this out, as we're answering the question, how do we walk this Christian life out now that we are saved by grace and justified? What's the opposite of walking in sin that grace may abound? What does walking in obedience look like? The first thing we need to know is that we are to let, let not sin dwell in our members. Let not Sin, dwell in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Sin is not to dwell in or live in our body to make us obey it. The Christian, once you become a Christian, is diametrically opposed to sin. We hate sin. Let me just ask a kind of diagnostic question. Does anybody in here just want to keep on sinning the rest of your life? It's just kind of your appetite, right? I just want to sin the rest of my life. We don't. We're frustrated with sin. As we kind of look at the slowness of our sanctification at times, we're frustrated. I wish it went quicker. Wouldn't you wish that God would just zap some things out of us, you know, or he just never dealt with that again? Wouldn't that be great? That's part of the longing of Christ's return. Maranatha, Jesus, come. Come, Lord, Lord, Lord Jesus, quickly. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We want you to come back. We don't want to deal with these sins anymore. We don't want to be in the battle anymore, but the, the Christian is brought from a place of not being at war with sin. Now that we are in Christ and alive in Christ, now we are not to let sin dwell in our members. We're at war. We're taking up arms. We're armed for the fight, armed for the battle, so do not let sin dwell in our bodies. We're opposed to sin. Sounds simple enough. A Christian is opposed to sin in all its forms, not just the big sins, not just the ones that make the papers, not just the really wicked, vile ones, but the little ones that we think are little. The ones that nobody else knows about. The Christian is in opposition. We do not want sin to, to dwell in our members. And then we get a another do not. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So we don't want to present our members to sin, our body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. We don't want to make the music of sin. We want the music of our lives to be opposite of what the music of our lives used to be. Our lives used to be marked by sin even if it was gross morality, meaning even if it was a prideful morality and it looked squeaky clean to everybody, it was still sin and our bodies were being used as instruments for sin and unrighteousness. And just as a Christian, we don't want that to be the case. We don't want to live like that anymore. We want our members to be used as instruments for righteousness. So do not, do not, what are we then to do? But, but do present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. Seems simple enough in theory. Do present yourselves to God and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Okay? But still, the question rises up in my mind. Okay, but okay, how do I do that? What, what, what am I going to do to present myself as uh, my bodies for members of righteousness. What am I going to do to actually be an instrument for righteousness sake? Tomorrow, the rest of the day, and as I'm watching football, the Patriots just got Antonio Brown, so I'm pretty excited about that. He doesn't get to play till next week. But as I'm watching football, or as I'm mowing the yard, and as I'm being patient with Jordan because she only wants me to watch two football games on Sunday and not three, <laughs> pray for her and me. How do I 
present myself as an instrument of righteousness. Okay, how? Well, first, before we answer that, and I love this because this text today and our challenge today is going to be cushioned and fueled by grace. It's going to be bookended by grace. And I want you to see this at first because this passage to me has been quite troubling over the years because at times it seems so untrue. And so I want you to read it and I want you to think about it as well because we get this in what we get here in a little bit as bookends to our commissioning this morning. So here's what it says in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. It's a promise. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Why will sin not have dominion over you? Well, because you're not under the law anymore in the same way you used to be. You are now under grace. Now, am I alone about this passage? Or have others been confused about this passage as well? Particularly in times of sin or battles with sin. Has anybody in this room felt like sin has dominion over you, like sin was actually kicking your tail. Okay, I see a couple of hands. Seasons, periods of life, maybe right now, where you just feel like I am stuck in the mud and I can't get out. It feels like sin has dominion over me. We begin to think about what does sin have dominion, dominion over me mean or look like? Because at times it just feels like that. But I want us to consider this morning the promise of this verse, because this is a matter-of-fact verse. This is not an optional verse. It's not a verse saying that if you do these things, then sin will not have a dominion over you. It's a matter-of-fact promise that sin will not have dominion over you. Meaning, if you're a Christian and it feels like sin is having a dominion over you, it's not. But why is it not? And consider this, as believers, even when we feel like sin is having dominion, it doesn't. Romans 7, we see a man who is in battle with the flesh and the enemy, and we ourselves know by experience, week in and week out, that we get dusty from Sunday to Sunday. We get in battle with the enemy, the war with the flesh and the world. But here is the promise. The promise is... That when you are in battle, you have never been in a place since you became a Christian where sin has dominion over you because grace and Jesus have dominion over you. You are under the dominion of Jesus Christ. You are in his grace. You belong to him. You may be deep in the battle, but it does not own you because Jesus owns you. You have been bought with a price. Sin does not own you. The power of sin has been broken, and we need that promise. To be reminded, we are in the dominion of grace here. If you're in Christ, there is nobody here that's in the dominion of sin. Not a single person. The power of sin has been broken over your life. Period. Done away with. You're under the reign and the rule of Jesus. He has you in his hands. He has broken the power of sin over your life. He has forgiven your sin. He has bore your punishment on that tree. And he has defeated Satan's sin and death by coming off of that tree. He's alive, and as surely as he is alive, you will be raised to newness of life. And that's what you're walking in. You feel like sin has dominion? It doesn't, because Jesus has 
say over your life. He has dominion over your life. You are in the dominion of grace, and it is a matter of fact. And God is so kind to give us these promises. As we begin thinking about going to war and being a slave to righteousness and walking in obedience and bearing much fruit for God, God is so kind to remind us, even if you feel like you're not bearing much fruit for God, even if you feel like you're getting punched in the mouth, you're under the dominion of grace. And so that's where I want to bring you this morning as we get going. You are in the grace of God. You are under the rule of Jesus. So there's a quick question revisited this morning. Look at verse 15. What then? If that's true that you're under grace and sin will not have dominion over you, the question, the same question that rises up after hearing all about assurance and union with Christ and justification, all these big Christian words, the same question rises up. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. So the line of reasoning is if, if sin has no dominion over me and it's a matter of fact, if I'm not under the law, well then, I'll sin. I'll be lawless. And Paul answers back, no, absolutely not. We are not to be antinomian. We are not anti-law. We are not people who walk around as if there's nothing to obey. We are not to take from this verse in verse 14, therefore I'm a lawless person. I don't have to obey anything. I'm just going to go do whatever. Paul's saying, no, absolutely not. And he's correcting that sort of thing. He anticipates this objection. And those, there's always going to be people... There's always going to be people who say this more than once. And it may be rising up inside of you as well when you hear about the grace of God or God's grace not, uh, or sin not having dominion over you. This impulse in you, yeah, grace but, grace but, what really transforms people is not God's grace, it's God's law. So after they know God's grace, feed them God's law. Objections continue to come and Paul anticipates this more than once. That this objection is going to come twice in this chapter. Those Romans are going to be reading this letter and they're going to be thinking if, if it's sure, if it's sure, if it's certain, and the promise rests on grace and sin's not going to have no any dominion because I'm not under the law, people are going to say, well, then I'm going to be lawless. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. But sadly, there's always, you're always going to be fine people and there's always going to be something possibly even in our hearts that puts more trust in that law than the grace of God to transform. So then Paul is going to say, okay, here's, Let's answer this now. I'm going to answer the objection that's come now twice, and I want to show you what the work of God looks like in a person's life. And so he's going to, to use this imagery of slavery. And we shouldn't be scared of what the Bible uses. He's going to use this imagery of slavery. And here's the deal. You and I and everybody else in the world, we are all slaves. Every one of us. Even the sons and daughters of God, we're all slaves. And it's an identity that we do not want to run from if we understand it rightly. To be a slave of God is as sweet as being a son of God. It is as sweet and it is loving and it is as caring from the God of the universe to call us into slavery of him as it is to call us into sonship. That's what he tells us here in this passage. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves, now this is like instruments of, okay, presenting yourselves as instruments of, of sin or of righteousness here. If... You present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves. You are a slave of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. People are going to present themselves to other people. I'm going to go out tomorrow to work. I'm going to open up my computer. 
I'm going to meet people for lunch, and I'm going to present myself to other people. And when we present ourselves to other people at work or school or wherever in our home, we are going to be presenting a person who is a slave. And there's only two kinds of slaves. And I'm going to be either a slave, as I present myself, I'm going to show other people that I am obedient, I'm an obedient slave to sin, or I'm going to present myself to others as an obedient slave to righteousness. One leads to death, the other leads to righteousness. And so this is the, this is the matter, this is how the things work out when we're presenting ourselves as instruments for God or as instruments for the enemy or for the flesh. I'm going to show myself and consider myself and present myself as one kind of slave. And I'm going to view myself tomorrow and the rest of this day as a slave of sin or as a slave of righteousness. One leads to death. One leads to more and more righteousness. Now the the question that's answered quickly is, what kind of slave are you? As a believer, what kind of slave are you? And we may think that there's an option here, that we can live as slaves of unrighteousness or of slaves to death. And there is, um, in Galatians 5, we, can, we need to live by the fruit of the Spirit and not by the, um, the deeds of the flesh. We need to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. But this text is going to tell us something definitive. It's going to give us a slavery identity. It's going to tell us what kind of slaves we are. In other words, if we're a Christian, we don't get to pick which kind of slaves we want to be. God picks it for us. And we're going to be told what kind of slave we are. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God. I want you to hear that. Okay, let's pause real quick. When we think about slavery, all colonial slavery pops up. We think about American colonization and, and slavery, stealing people and then enslaving people. Okay, and so we have this one image of slavery in our mind. And that's why our, our, a lot of our Bibles translate slavery to servants. Diblos means slavery in the Greek. And we change it to servant because the imagery we immediately go to a vile form of slavery, which was colonial slavery. But the Bible is going to give us a, a, type, a type of slavery that we should be thankful for, that we, we shouldn't look at and scoff at, and that we, we shouldn't look at and disregard, but we should be thankful for. And this is how this passage starts. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for what? That you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What kind of slave are you? Well, the text tells us, for all of us, we just don't get to pick it. If you're a Christian, if you have faith in Christ, if you claim to, to walk with Jesus, and if you've been born again, well, thanks be to God, whatever follows, God gets all the praise for it, you are a slave of righteousness. You were once a slave to sin, but now God has done something in your life of which we should be thankful for. And there are three things in particular we see in this passage that are absolutely true of every believer in this room. That are absolutely true of every believer in this room. Number one, we have become, all of us, obedient to God from the heart. From the heart. This is not just external conformity where we're doing Christian things and speaking in a Christian way. All of us have become obedient to the Lord from the heart. Every Christian who's ever lived has become obedient from the inside out, not necessarily the outside in, the inside out. Number two, all of us have been set free from sin. Have been set free from sin. And in your mind as you're thinking through, but why, why do I still struggle with this then? 
And we'll get to that. But the matter-of-fact statement in this passage, it's absolutely true of you. No matter what your battle is, you have been set, set free from sin. You know there's a battle there, and only free people know about the battle. You have been set free. Number two. Number three, we have become slaves of righteousness. This is a past tense. If you're a Christian, you've become a slave of righteousness. That's who you are. That is your identity. Now, the Christian identity is broader than slave. We've already talked about it. We are, we are sheep. We are clay, we are slaves, and we are sons and daughters of the living God. And we need to find the beauty in all of those identities. But one thing we need to know as we come to this is we need to be thankful for God for this type of slavery. There are absolute facts about us, and it's crucial for us to understand these things. Who are you? Who are you? In your battle with sin, who are you? Are you a slave to that sin? Or are you a slave of righteousness? This is crucial for us when we think about walk, just the, the nuts and the bolts of walking the Christian life out. Who are you? You're a slave of righteousness. That's who you are. The power of sin has been broken over your life. There's nothing you face that has dominion over you. Nothing. No matter how hard it is, no matter how big of a mountain it looks like that's in front of you, of sin... No matter how hard it looks, you know, this, but this battle with my flesh and this particular area of sin in my life has been so hard for so long, it's just raged. It doesn't have dominion over you. It's not your identity. Whether it's sexual sin, whether it's sin with, uh, with addiction or you're ad uh, addicted to being angry or whatever it may be, whatever the particular sin category may, may be, you are not a slave to that sin. These are a matter-of-fact statements. You have become obedient from the heart. You are no longer a slave to sin, and now you are a slave to righteousness. So let's understand these three things before we move on. How are these things true? Well, number one, what's going on in our hearts? What's going on in our hearts? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I love that verse, Jeremiah 17, 9. But that's not true of you anymore. If you're a Christian, that's not true of you anymore. The promise of the New Testament is that God would do something to your heart. The promise of the New Covenant is that the Spirit would indwell our hearts. That we would have hearts of flesh, no longer hearts of stone. The promise that Abraham longed to see is that the Holy Spirit of God wouldn't just be with the people of God, that the Holy Spirit of God would be in the people of God. And if you are a believer in Jesus... Jeremiah 17.9 is not true of you anymore. You have a new heart. Absolutely have a new heart. It is true of all the rest of the world, people who do not know God, that their heart is deceitful above all things and des desperately sick. Who can understand it? But God has done something to the heart of the believer. That is the promise. That's who you used to be at the deepest level of your being is deceitful, is hater of God. Desperately sick, lost. Nobody could understand that heart but God. And God understood you. And God came to you in the promise in Ezekiel chapter 36 and in Jeremiah. Also, I believe chapter 31 is this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove that heart of stone, heart surgery, rip it out, pull it out. And I will, from your flesh, and give you, put in a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my 
rules. Thanks be to God, God gave us a new heart. He gave us a new heart. We have been born again. The God of the universe has moved us from death to life. And he has moved us from spiritual, from, from the life in the flesh and life with the enemy and life in the world. And he's killed that old man and he's brought us into life in the kingdom. And we belong to God. And this is absolutely true of you. Are there pockets of sin and wickedness within us? Absolutely. It would be foolish to say otherwise. But the deepest part about you now as a believer is that you have a heart transplant. And the Spirit of God dwells within you. You have become obedient from the heart, from the inside out. That's what God has done. And thanks be to God for it. You belong to God. We've become obedient. We've been set free from sin. We have become slaves of righteousness. And it is all because of God's grace. All thanks, all praise goes to Him. And it's a matter of fact. It's a matter of fact. Let me just ask a question. The deepest part about you. I'm going to probably ask this again. Just be honest. No, don't be phony or fake. Do you want to obey God? Really? Do you want to honor him? Why? Because God gave you a new heart. Is anybody frustrated with sin in here? You ever been thinking in your life, as you see something come out in your life, you think, that was ugly. Why? Where does that come? What in the world? Why does that feel icky? Why? Because you've been given a new heart. That's why. That's why. Because the Holy Spirit's after you. He won't let you keep going on like that. This is what God is doing inside of us. He's put his spirit within us, and he is the one causing us to obey him. For some, it looks like spiritual growth happens a lot faster. And for others, and for reasons I can't understand, for others, spiritual growth is so hard. It's, it's not easy for anybody. But for some people, it's just really, really hard. And yet, these things are absolutely true. For, for me, my gosh, it's hard for everybody. Like, is there any sin that you've conquered where it was just like, well, that was easy, on to the next thing. There may be something you got over really quick, and then there's now a new sin that comes up, and all of a sudden, you know what, That's a little, that, that one took two decades. And then I thought I overcame that sin, and just three years later, oh, well, <laughs> that stinking thing again. But that new heart doesn't let you just be okay with it. As that conviction comes, and it's just, gosh, I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be better because God's at work inside of us. It's God who is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is doing that. And we've become slaves of righteousness. These are things that are absolutely true. Look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for acknowledging here that we're limited. You know, God, through the Apostle Paul, we're, we're, I, church in Rome, you're limited. And if the church is, is limited by human limitations, so are we. And thanks, that's just a little nugget there that's so kind. So kind. Okay, because of your... Natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Wow. Okay. 
Let's think through this. He's speaking on our human level, and it's like he's saying, kind of getting down, eye level. And okay, kids, get this. This is, this is what I want you to understand. I'm speaking at a level that you can get, and we're the, all the kids, not just the kids. We're all the kids. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just get eye level here. Just here's how this works. I'm going to make it as simple as possible. Your old life produced negative examples here for us to learn from. Once, when you were slaves to lawlessness, and when you lived that way, it led to more lawlessness. If you lie, if you don't want to be found out, one lie leads to more lies. You know that. One sin leads to more sin. And then to bigger sins and to bigger sins. You start walking in the mud of sin and life, and you start living that way, you get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and the conscience becomes more and more seared, where a person living in sin can become more and more okay with sin. In our society in general, things now that we laugh at as, as a joke, generations before cried at. And then the things that our, we cry at now, next generation will laugh at. Joking about abortion is already happening. Melissa Milano is already talking about how wonderful it is that she had two abortions so she could have her career. And what we look at and think, oh my gosh, our kids' generations, unless God does something miraculous, one generation looks at it and weeps, the next generation accepts it and laughs at it. Because consciences can be seared to sin. Lawlessness leads to the normalization of lawlessness, and it leads to more lawlessness. And Paul is saying, that's the case study here. I level, that's the case study. Do you remember how one lie led to another lie? And how the Pinocchio life began? Okay, how that was the case. So now, so now, let's look at that negative example as the case study. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, because if you do that, leading to sanctification. If you present yourselves in the same way that you used to, that led to a seared conscience and more and more sin and more and more lawlessness, now do the opposite of that. Present yourself as a slave to righteousness and it leads to sanctification. Obey today as you see yourself as a slave of righteousness, as you see yourself being obedient to God's word today, right now, obedience becomes the norm. What does God have to say about this becomes the rule of my life. And as you take a step of obedience, the culture that you're now living in is a little bit greater culture of obedience. And as you take one more step of obedience, what does it look like for me to be a slave of righteousness the rest of the day? To live sacrificially. In my case, it means only watching two football games. What does it look like for you to obey today? And the air you breathe, as you continue to open God's word, I'm going to, at the end of the service today, I'm going to make an announcement about the Bible reading challenge. As you become, by the grace of God, obedient, one more day at a time, in the same way it got you deeper and deeper into sin, it gets you deeper and deeper into sanctification. It's not that hard. By the grace of God today, make the next obedient decision you can, the best that you possibly can. Holy Spirit, help me to obey right now. And we think about sanctification sometimes, and we measure our sanctification in years 
And we think, my goodness, how am I ever going to get there? It's kind of like, if, if, now for me, uh, I'm going to use weight loss and weight gain, for instance. For me, gaining muscle, I would like to be a little bit stronger. We went on this uh, uh, trip to uh, Jack's Fork River, and I have, you know, these pictures of me with my shirt off, and, you know, my arms are skinny. I want to be stronger, you know, I want to be, you know, I, want, I, mean, I got two boys and I want to be able to pin them when they're 16. <laughs> and thinking about that though, thinking about, gosh, to get there, it's months and months of working out. When, how am I going to have the time? When am I going to do that? I'm going to have dumbbells at the house and a Bowflex. You know, you'd, you'd think, you know, I mean, everybody uses their home exercise machines, right? I mean, I must be the only one um, that doesn't. But you think about it and it seems so hard. But you know what? For change to happen, what does it start with? Well, you pick up the dumbbells. And you just, today, you win this day. You just, you win the day. And then tomorrow, you, you pick up the dumbbells. And you may go three days, and like, what do I do with those things? I, I don't know. Maybe the kids threw them outside. Or, where did the dumbbells go? And you may have three steps back. But you know what? That third day, you don't hang your head low and think, well, I'm a bum. You pick them up again, and you... Do the dumbbells. That's how obedience, that's how sanctification works. It's one step at a time. This is, okay, human level here, guys. Let me make it as simple as possible, Holy Spirit is telling us through the Apostle Paul. Just obey today. And in the same way you used to obey, it invited you into a culture of disobedience that led to more and more disobedience. This is going to invite you into a worldview and to a life of saying, God, what do you want me to do? Opening our Bible in the morning and just saying, okay, what does it look like then? Uh, be kind to one another, forgiving each other in Christ as God has forgiven you. As you're reading through Ephesians and you read that and you think today, God, help me to be more forgiving to people today. If you've been gracious to me today, help me to be somebody who forgives today. And as we do that, the culture, the air we breathe, the world we're walking in is one of greater and greater and greater sanctification. That's how spiritual growth works. As we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Repent and believe in Jesus. When you're struggling with sin that particular day, don't see it as this mountain, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get any better. Repent, look to Jesus, thank you Jesus that you forgave me for that sin, and I want to pick your weights up today. I just want to obey. Help, help me today. And just walk in joy. You're, you're, like, you're, you're not under the dominion of sin. What's there to be afraid of? Take up the fight. Walk in obedience. Let's be transformed from one image of glory to another as we look to Jesus. Obedient to submission. Uh, obedient submission to God's word grows over a lifetime. Obedient submission to God's word grows over a lifetime, and slaves of righteousness are committed to that, even when it's hard. Look at verse 20. I find 20 helpful. Now, let me just ask, wasn't that eye level? Wasn't that simple here? Here's how this works now that you're not under the dominion of sin anymore, now that you're under the dominion of grace. To obey today, it'll lead to sanctification. One step of obedience after another. Just obey today. Trust in Jesus. Things are going to be all right. Follow him. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. 
In verse 20, you once were free concerning the things of God. You didn't care. You know, there are, and there's a lot of ways that being a non-believer is, is harder than being a believer, where being a believer is, is amazing and it's wonderful. But there's a lot of things in life that are a lot easier as a non-believer. You just, it's just it's a lot simpler because you're not in war the same way that a believer is. There's not the same kind of warfare. As a believer, you are brought into warfare the rest of your life. Welcome. We're in the battle together. You're a part of the Lord's army and you don't get to opt out. And you are fighting the enemy. You are fighting your flesh. You're, you, are, you are in this battle the rest of your life because you've been given a new heart and the Spirit of God dwells within you. And so when other people walk in sin, there may be some level of general uh, conviction through conscience. But when we walk in sin, the Holy Spirit says, no, absolutely not. No, do not do that. And we may be able to suppress that for a while and walk as a backslider for, another, for a while. But if you're a believer, eventually that just begins to gnaw at you and gnaw at you and gnaw at you. And God will get you back. You see, there was a way in which we used to be free where we didn't care, but now we care. If you're a Christian and a slave to righteousness, then it's just a matter of fact that we don't want to disobey God. We do want to obey God, and when we do disobey God, we're frustrated with it. It's just how it is in the life of the believer. Verse 21, remember the bad fruit that came from sin? Death is a result of that. Remember the bad fruit that came from bad decisions in your life? Even now as a believer, when we make terrible decisions or selfish decisions, what kind of fruit comes from that? Is it good? The results of sin may get us a few laughs. It may get us a few stories to tell around the fire. And one day we'll be ashamed of those stories that we told around the fire. But but the fruit we got from that kind of disobedience and lawlessness wasn't good. But as a believer, here's what I can tell you. If you obey, if you honor God, it may cause you to lose your job. But you'll have good fruit. There'll be good fruit. If you obey, it doesn't mean life is going to be great for you in every way. But if you obey, the fruit of righteousness is good fruit. It's good fruit. It may not mean the easiest life you could possibly live, but it'll be good fruit. And you will not regret it. So we want to obey. We want to obey God. We want to walk with Him. There was once fruit that we got that we don't want. And now there's fruit, new fruit to be had as we walk in obedience. And it is good fruit. And it fruit, it's fruit that leads to sanctification and eternal life. It is fruit that leads to sanctification and eternal life. And I love this. Because we want fruit. Now, what can happen often when we start talking about passages like this and we get into sections like this, we can become fruit inspectors. And you shall know a tree by its fruit. There is aspects of this. It's absolutely true. If you say in in your heart, I don't want to obey God. I do just want to obey myself. And that's the pattern and the norm of your life for the long haul. There is no way that you're a believer. It's just not the case. And as if you're doing this, and there are seasons where we're blinded by sin as believers. But if it's a pattern of your life over a long period of time where you just don't care to obey God, then the Spirit of God is not indwelling you. Because if the Spirit of God is indwelling you, you have this new flesh inside you, have this fleshly heart, and you have a heart that we promise that God says, and I will cause you to obey my statutes. God's doing this. 
And so as we look at fruit, there, there can be a temptation to wonder and start fruit inspecting and wonder, do I have enough fruit, and do I have enough fruit, and do I have enough fruit? It was all this fruit, and we can get all worried. And, and So we're taken back to grace again. And the bookend, the bookend number two, we start you know, looking at grace. Just be reminded, grace is just scattered throughout just for treasures to us, for us to find. And as soon God, as God tells us to do something, as soon as God tells us to walk in obedience, he reminds us of his grace again. Look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Simple enough, wages of sin, well that's death. But what is the free gift of God? Not as, what is, our, not, not, not as what is this gift after we've shown fruit, or after we are showing ourselves to be slaves of righteousness, what is the free gift of God? It is eternal life in Christ, and it is unearned. It's a free gift. We don't get the free gift of eternal life because we are slaves of righteousness. That inverts the whole teaching of the Bible. We get to be slaves of righteousness because we are inheritors of the free gift of God's grace. It is the grace of God that we are slaves, to right, slaves of righteousness. It is His grace. It's the free gift. And so keep in mind, as we're talking about these things today, and if these things don't feel true of you, if it feels like it's just so slow, and I, don't, I feel like sin is today winning the day. This week, I look back and I take inventory of the week and I write down what does it look like the Spirit of God is doing and what does it look like the enemy or my flesh is doing and it looks like this page is so much more full. Friends, brothers or sisters, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, we need to keep this in mind. Eternal life is an unearned gift. It's free. It's the free gift of God. It's not earned by our work and it's not earned by our fruit. We cannot get the cart before the horse. God's grace comes first. It's a free gift. It comes to us and it wrecks us in the best sort of way. And it's like Paul knew that there would be some believers sitting there in Rome, sitting around that dusty floor of that house, who felt like they were just getting owned over, owned by sin, who didn't feel like that slave of righteousness. And so here's comfort for our soul. The free gift, the free gift that came your way, that is yours if you are in Christ, is the very gift of eternal life. The free gift of God is that eternal life. To the weary soul who feels kicked around by the world, the flesh, and the devil, if you have faith in Christ, in turn, eternal life is yours by grace right now. Sin does not have dominion over you. You are under the safe rule and dominion of Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. If you're particularly today, some of you need to hear this, and you feel exhausted by sin, feel fed up. Sin does not have dominion over you. Get that head up. You're a slave of Christ. You belong to him. The power of sin is broken over your life. You say, I don't feel like that's the case. Well, don't trust your feelings because what's true, is, true of you is you are not a slave to sin. Your heart has been made new. You belong to God. Get that head up. Look to Jesus and worship him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's going to be our joy to obey you today, to walk in newness of life.
help us as we get real practical today. Help us to think about those areas that we need to obey. So just the rest of the day, help us to obey. But first, let us revel in your grace. Help us be reminded as we sing these songs that we have been transferred from a dominion that was wicked, dark, vile, and terrible. That was not secure. That was actual death in this life under the dominion of death and sin. And now... Sin doesn't have dominion over us because we're not under the law in the same way anymore. The law is not coming as our accuser anymore. Jesus, you were accused on our behalf. And so it's our joy now as slaves, as your slaves owned by you. You took ownership over us. You're taking responsibility over our lives. You have transferred us into your dominion. He said, I own them. They're mine. They belong to me, and I'm going to cause them to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. And I've put my spirit within them. They belong to me. They are marked. They are bought with a price. They are not their own. They are mine. And so it is our joy today to lean into that glorious identity of a slave of slavery. We are your slaves, owned by you, under your rule and reign. Thank you for your kindness as a master. Thank you for loving us so well. Thank you for purchasing us as your own. Help us today. Help us to sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's anybody that needs to pray, I would be more than willing to pray with you up here. If you want to pray with your friends, whoever brought you, your spouse, your family, your children. Children, if these things, if, if there's anything that the Holy Spirit helped you understand today, talk to your parents about it. Parents, pray about it with them. Talk to them about it. Let's just worship Him and see where the Holy Spirit leads. Let's sing. Let's sing.